Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is Cafe Mocha? Cafe Mocha is experts, celebrities. What's up? This is Belbid DeVoe. Yours truly, Idris Elba. This is Fantasia. This is Invo. This is India Ari. So much more. All from a woman's perspective. What flavor are you, baby? This is Cafe Mocha. It's Cafe Mocha, Angelique, Lonnie Love, and Yo-Yo. Oh, this is a special show that we're going to have this week. We're going to talk about the HBCU First Look Film Festival that was just held at Howard University. It was founded by our executive producer, Sheila Eldridge. We're going to get into it. It was a lot that was happening, so you don't want to miss it. This is Cafe Mocha. Last week, Cafe Mocha had the first ever HBCU First Look Film Festival hosted at Howard University, over 125 submissions. And our opening night movie was Rustin. That was produced by Netflix and executive produced by Michelle and Barack Obama. Now, they surprised the students and they actually introduced the movie and it was great. We got a little soundbite of Michelle. Check it out. You all are the giants whose shoulders the rest of us are standing on. And that's really what this film is all about. Sharing the stories of the folks who pushed us towards a better, more just world. And that's especially important when it's a story that's been overlooked for far too long. Now, I hope we all know about the March on Washington. <laughs> Can't be sure nowadays what they're doing with history. Um, but we know about the huge crowds and the historic speeches. Uh, but the story of what went on behind the scenes is a little more hazy. We don't know much about the folks who did the hard work, who packed the lunches and sorted through the accommodations and figured out where all those folks were going to go to the bathroom. The unsung organizers who willingly and freely devoted thousands of hours so that people from every background and every part of the country could come together to peacefully rally for justice and equality. Byard Rustin was the driving force behind all of that. His dedication, his optimism, his expert execution. He set the stage for the march and all the progress that flowed from it. And yet his name is not synonymous with that history as, as so many others. An openly gay black man did not easily fit in. Even in the heart of a movement for civil rights and justice. And he wasn't celebrated in our history either. To us, this film is about painting that fuller story of our history. Triumphs, complications, all of it. And I want to highlight how important I think this is for all of the young people here in the room with us tonight. 
because I know how easy it is to, to doubt who you are, to wonder if the way you look or where you're from or who you love will leave you on the margins of the broader American story. But as you watch this movie, I want you to let Bayard Rustin's example give you the strength to silence those doubts. Let his story remind you that no matter the complication, no matter the hardship, you can make history. Your story matters. And as we look around the country and the world today, we need you to believe that now more than ever. If you don't know about Bayard Rustin, he was a civil rights advocate and he was also the architect for the March on Washington. He was also an openly gay man. And you know, back then, it was a lot happening. Well, it stars Coleman Domingo. I was able to talk to him on the carpet. I first uh, found out about Bayard Rustin when I was about a junior in college at Temple University when I joined the African American Student Union. And I think he was brought up in some conversation. And I was very curious, especially as we started to delve more into who this man was, whether he was a Quaker, he was from Westchester, Pennsylvania, he was um, a young communist at a time, he was um, uh, a war resistor, he also played the lute, and he was a, a star athlete in school, and he sang Elizabethan love songs. And I thought, who was this brother? This is the most incredible, interesting human being. And then when I found out, he also was the architect of the March on Washington, and he he and his team may put that together in seven weeks' time, the largest peaceful uh, protest that this country's ever seen. I thought, well, that is an incredible man, and why don't I know more about him, and why did it take me until my junior year in college to find out about him? And, of course, um, like with any history, especially with our history, we have to delve deeper because it's not easily accessible. So that's when I found out, and I couldn't shake it. So I've known about him for a long time. He was so good in that movie, too. I can't wait for everybody to see him. You know, and this is what we need, you know, Angelique. What I love about one of the themes that we had during the whole film festival is being able to use your platform. We believe that because we are HBCU alumni, um, we have platforms now. And we reached out to people like Stephen Love, the producer of uh, the clone Tyrone. We reached out to actress Terry Vaughn. We reached out to Ruth E. Carter. And they came back and they gave us wonderful workshops, keynote speeches, because we're supposed to give back. So like one of the things that the one of the themes that I gave to the students was that, you know, once you graduate, come back home and yeah. use your platform for good. And so what Barack and Michelle Obama did by executive producing this movie, it really gives a taste of history because it probably wouldn't have gotten made if right. it hadn't had their name on it. Because so, it's an obscure, he's an obscure guy. Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, yeah, people don't, don't know him and they should well and they should and the thing is is that they you know what i loved about it is that they didn't sugarcoat it that's why i want people to watch the movie they didn't sugarcoat and try to gloss over you know his sexuality they didn't gloss over you know it really gives you like an inside look at what was happening at that time the fight that 
they were having about the March on Washington and, you know, and not giving the movie away. You know, a lot of people don't realize the March on Washington originally was set for two days and there was this internal fight and they call it the big six, the civil rights workers. And then they, it became the big 10 because they were able to get the unions involved, like the UAW and things like that. And so you get all this insight, you get this insight about Martin Luther King and, you know, the NAACP at the time, which was really huge from the, the point of justice. And you get to see back then what was important to certain people. Cafe Mocha. We're talking about the HBCU First Look Film Festival that was held at Howard University um, last weekend. President Obama and Michelle Obama made a surprise appearance. Let's hear what President Obama had to say. So, without further ado, I want to introduce someone who knows a little something about making history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, please welcome my husband. <laughs> Resistance. 
helped advise Dr. King, served as one of Dr. King's key advisors in the Montgomery bus boycott. He helped organize the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. He mentored countless young actors to fight for equality and for freedom. So this is one of the seminal figures that changed the course of American history. Without him, I might not have been president. You might not be sitting where you are today. <laughs> and she was looking, I'll never forget, she had on this like green um, velvet pantsuit. She had her hair in braids, was a little blonde. I just, I can still remember. And she, I mean, the students were so excited. If you could hear, you know, someone shouted, I love you. And she said, I love you more. And she talked about <laughs> the movie and everything. And then she was like, well, you know, Rustin made history. And I know somebody who knows a little something about making history. My husband, Barack Obama. And Barack came out and everybody lost it again. And Sheila didn't even know our 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 founder of, of for the event, Sheila Eldridge, didn't know. And Sheila jumped up because Sheila was tired. Cause you know, this takes a lot. And yeah. she wasn't gonna come. And I was like, Sheila, I think you need to come. It was just, you know, I was like, you never know. And I said, it's the opening night. You could just come and you could leave, whatever, you know, but he came out when I tell you he looks smooth. His hair is all gray, it's all silver, you know, and you could tell he is enjoying life after the presidency. Um, and he did just a wonderful I, I will never forget his opening line. The kids were yelling and screaming, they were so happy. And he said, I see you. I oh, see you. Wow. And it was like, oh, I mean, we we didn't have to watch the movie after that. Cause <laughs> But it was a really great opening. And we got pickup from all. And uh, um, before I, I get to that, I want to say he acknowledged that the strikes were over. Right. And that was very, very important because, you know, we didn't want to do anything, you know, celebrate something while the actors were still striking. So he did. The first thing he did was acknowledge that. And we got pick up from the Hollywood Reporter, from Variety. And the thing is, Michelle Obama, there's a piece where she she actually says our, you know, festival's name. That was like a wonderful opening night, a wonderful feeling. And I know the students really appreciated uh, Barack and Michelle. And so we all watched the film, we screened it. And then afterwards there was a talk back by um, Coleman Domingo and the director of the film, George C. Wolf. George Wolf is one of the most phenomenal uh, creators of Broadway and mm -hmm. movies and what he did with this movie was awesome. So I think we have a little soundbite from George and Coleman Domingo's talk. Um, how hopeful are you that Rustin will end that erasure? Well, hopefully, I mean, you know, it's, it's one of the main reasons to do it. It's, it, it was to celebrate him. And the thing which is interesting is in movie theaters right now and come November 17th, it's all over the world. It's all over the world. And, hopefully, you know, and the irony of going to the Oval Office, they thought they were going there for, for policy 
It was a tarawa for President Kennedy to, to cleanse the image against the fact that he didn't want this march to happen. So, you know, it, but it, 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 Tom is very correct. It was the beginning of the erasure, but just it's you know, I, you know, you know. I, I said jokingly, I want every single person who has a child in twenty nineteen in, in twenty twenty four to name the child Rustin, 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 and just have Rustin by Rustin. But in lieu of that, it's celebrate and know this man and dig more and dig the people who were a part of his world and dig in until you know. Ella Baker and all the people that are mentioned and all, and all the people who aren't mentioned in this because it was such an astonishing time and a, and a brilliant, brilliant group of people who like Rustin and who gave their being to change this country. Um, I'm not going to look at Coleman because I'm a cry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I've been in awe of you for a long time. but. This portrayal of Rustin, the ferocity that George was talking about, where did it come from? How did you become Iron Rustin? I think it starts with uh, a lot of people having faith in you, that you could attempt to deliver and try to create the spirit of a man and of a movement. And uh, it starts with my director, George C. Wall, who is a great interrogator of art and culture and history. And we really created together this, this character. So someone trusted me and believed that I could do it. And, um, and then it starts with my own homework before I even entered the room to the play space with my director and my collaborators. And I just did my own work, which I, you know, I have my own esteem for my work. I, I'm a research nut, and I, I do the work. Whether it's, you know, I don't want to bore you with what I've done, but it was really months of preparation, so I know that I could liberate myself once I was in the room, and I could play. So it required a deep respect and love for the character that I was playing, for the people that I was portraying, and I wanted to um, shed some light in life. I wanted to make sure I took him out of the took him out of the history books, whatever where you could find him in the margins. But I wanted to make him um, a whole, interesting, creative, messy human being, and he was. As I researched and found out more about him, he was, you know, you got one sleeping with your assistant, another one, and the film at least you. It's a little messy, right? <laughs> and I think that's who we are. But also, he had a brilliant mind, and we can't discount that and his purpose, what will come up every day. Uh, the line that stuck with me in the script was the line that um, Dr. Anna Hedgman says, have you made yourself useful today? That was something I had at the top of my script, and I would look at every day to make sure I was being useful in every single way, not, even, not only as a performer, but as a leader, and knowing that I was sort of like responsible for the soul of this film. You know, my director's tasked with a billion other things to make sure it's all working. And then I have to make sure of the day-to-day, -day, every artist that came on board, every you know, crew member, every person in transportation, they were seen and valued, but that had to come, for me, it was um, honoring the spirit of not only Byron Rustin, but of Baker and 
around with all these other change makers. So I had to be responsible to them in every single way. And also be responsible to all those who knew and loved Byron Rustin, who I would find out more about all the human things about him. How, whether, I would ask questions, is he a touchy-feely person? Is he, what did he like to eat? Did he like to laugh? Did he like to tell jokes? Um, and I got a lot of information to uh, put into my body. And then I had to do that thing. It's a strange thing that we do as actors. You know, we sort of uh, do a lot of research and work in, in finding his voice, which is like maybe three octaves higher than mine, and singing in a tenor voice. And, and I say, I'm a baritone, and my, finding my physicality, and you know, yeah, fantastic. He fills you with great costume designers and production designers that help the world, that you can help animate your body into. And then you do what uh, a great playwright says, um, John Patrick Shanley, he said in the forward of one of his plays, and then you leave room for the divine to reside. And so I knew that this film was different than any other film that I've ever done, or television show. I was truly being in service. I was asking to be used every single day, and then to get out of my own way, get out of my head, get out of my way, and be vulnerable, and play. George challenges me to play, to think, to rethink, to unknow again and again. There's some great performances. You have, um, you know, uh, Adrian Warren, who uh, got the Tony for Tina Turner. She's in it. You have Jeffrey Wright, who's in it. Um, you have Chris Rock, who is also yeah. in it. You got a, you have a lot of of faces and known people and you know I'm just like I was just taken aback by it because I probably would not have actually watched it if I hadn't screened it at this film festival and I'm glad that they had the opening night there for the students um, to see because I think it's important this is another way to tell history I mean of course you know right now Angelique they're banning books they're banning yeah. certain things so we have to find other avenues for our people to keep our history alive and so this is just one it's Rustin on Netflix oh Angelique what we had for the HBCU First Look Film Festival one of the, the only black woman to have two Academy Awards in her category, and that's Miss Ruth E. Carter. Oh, uh, the uh, costume designer. Yep, from yeah. all the wonderful movies, Black Panther, um, you know her from She's Gotta Have It, uh, Marshall, and this is the thing, uh, Ruth E. Carter, I was able to uh, talk to her as we were, uh, it was a luncheon, and I was hosting it, and um, she gave this wonderful keynote to the students um, at the film festival. And the thing that she said most was how whatever you're doing, do it all the time. Hi, I'm uh, Ruthie Carter. I have a book out called The Art of Ruthie Carter. I have an exhibition traveling around. The exhibition is called Afrofuturism in Costume Design. I'm here uh, to represent uh, costume design, also to support 
them to let them see someone who is a double Oscar winner, someone who is four time nominated, someone who has a star on the Walk of Fame, that I am no different than they are, that I started in the same manner that they are here at their HBCUs uh, representing all of them Howard, Hampton, Morgan, Norfolk State, Morehouse, Spelman, you name it. So I didn't have this as a young student. We were all theater majors. We were, we were producing plays and not films. But as I uh, came up through 40 Acres and a Mule and Spike Lee and um, went on to Hollywood to do films with Robert Townsend, I mean, some of the films that we did were uh, independent. I'm Gonna Get You Sucker was an independent film. Five Heartbeats was independent. We didn't have anything. And so... It was important for me to know when I was coming up that what you get out of your film studies in college, the same equipment that is being used, the the inspiration for the art, the creative growth that you experience as a student of film is something that you will carry on with you for the rest of your journey um, in life. And, and, you know, it's not about winning it's about doing, and it's about completing. On the way, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. We're at Cafe Mocha Radio. Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network, an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a black perspective. Curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a yes. point of view. We call that edumatainment. That's what we call it. Ed- is that what it is? Veteran TV journalist Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary Funky Divas in Vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. To syndicated broadcast personalities, Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, targeted electronic newsletter, experienced sales representation, For advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective. It's Cafe Mocha. This show is all about music makers, and we have, I mean, come on. The first time ever. Woo! I'm sad girl out. Get Jimmy Jimmy off the floor. <laughs> Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis on the line. I, I mean, so many hits that there's, you know, we can't even go down the list, but right. welcome to the show, guys. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you for having us. 
Well, well, before we get started with your new stuff, I just want to say that you got me through college with Janet Jackson. Thank you so much for bringing her and the control and it gave me empowerment. I went to an HBCU. So to have this moment with you too, I just yes. get emotional. So thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. We appreciate that. Glad. Like that. Like that. Absolutely. We're, talking, we're talking to Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. And so I want to go back even further because mm. obviously everybody remembers when the first time album came out mm. and we flipped mm-hmm. it over yes. and we saw these two cool cats. I mean, yes. all you guys were cool. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, Jam, take us back to the early days and, and, you know, when you went from musicians to like superstars. <laughs> Like we're always superstars. They were always superstars. They were born superstars. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I, I think we, um, first of all, we all grew up knowing each other and playing together back in Minneapolis. It was a very competitive music scene. I know anybody that saw the movie Purple Rain knows that there was sort of the battle of the bands and all the competing bands and stuff. That's the way we grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, Prince and Morris Day had a band together um i was in a band of my own terry lewis had a band of his own and everybody was all competing for those spots and eventually morris and prince joined together um uh, well, well morris and us joined together actually in, in the time um but it was all just very competitive and stuff so we were known and, and it was all about really the competition and then when we prince and time we toured together and every night we were trying to you know kick prince's ass i mean that was our our thing we were trying to do <laughs> And, uh, and, and some nights we were successful, some we weren't, but it was a great learning experience. And for us, it never was about trying to be famous or anything or trying to be stars. It was just doing what we love to do, which was be around our friends and just play music and try to make the best music we possibly could. But the early days was great. It was a lot of fun. And we're friends with those, all those people, you know, even up to now. I mean, so it was great. But uh, Terry, uh being black men in this industry and making it and still having a legacy. Can you talk about, you know, any type of struggles that you all had to go through just to, you know, get signed and how did you guys start working together? As a black man, I certainly can speak to that. Uh, (laughs) Struggles. It's the same struggles that any black man goes through. I mean, you have your, your, your struggles within your own community, but then you have the extra struggles uh, that come from other parts of the community. Uh, in Minneapolis, we had a, a lot of black musicians, but we had very little opportunity in, in terms of places to play. Mm. So we had to create our own business models and, and we'd print up flyers and we'd rent like hotel bar rooms or we do deals with uh, different venues that, hey, we'll take the door, you take the bar kind of deals. And we'd have to make our own gigs because there was just not enough places for us to play. But, you know, you roll those things over into your future and those things give you a good business kind of acumen that you take forward. And we actually use all those skills that we learned back as kids today as businessmen. So, you know, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's what we say. That's right. Cafe Mocha, Angelique, Lonnie Love, Yo-Yo, on the line, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. I mean, just umpteenth years worth of Mm -hmm. hits on the line right here. You you know what I wanted to ask them? 
Who created the look of Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis? Because that's such a signature look. The Blues Brothers. Uh, the Blues I Brothers know. stole it. They yeah. stole it. Don't <laughs> say that. Yeah, the, the Blues Brothers stole it from us, actually. But uh, no, uh, no. Listen, when we were growing up, we always wanted to try to look nice. We always were trying to be in suits and that kind of stuff. And honestly, we couldn't afford anything. So what we used to do is we used to go to thrift shops back in the day. And we, you could buy a suit for maybe $10, $15, go have it tailored up really nice. And the same with hats. You know, I have, I remember Terry Lewis back when he was like, I don't know, 15, 16 years old. I got a picture in the studio of him with his red, black, and green base. And he's got his fedora on. So we, that was always just our style. And we just decided to carry it forward. We just thought it was a classy style to have and a timeless style to have. So we just kind of stuck with it over the years and it's kind of become our signature. And you were right. I yeah. Mean, yeah. It still works. Right. You have to wear the clothes. You can't let the clothes wear you. So that's <laughs> fashion is where we're style meets personality that creates fashion. So the yeah. clothes fit us. And yeah. they look good. And I knew that's why I said, I said the blues brothers, you know, the white people always taking stuff from us. They just, that was like, that, I, I was like, really, really y'all. So, but I, you know, still to this day, when we see you all, we know that that is Jam and Lewis. Now uh, let's talk about, he don't know nothing about it. Featuring your longtime producer, Kenny Babyface Edmonds. How did this come about Terry? What? Oh, Jim, go ahead. I'll let you speak. Oh, really? Oh, thank you, Terry Lewis. Um, <laughs> I feel like I speak all the time. I like I like hearing Terry speak. I do anyway, too. Um, yeah, me too. I, I'm telling you, I tell, Terry's the smartest man always in any room. That's why I like to hear him talk. I like to just absorb it. But um, no, the combination with Babyface was really like um, it was something we had always wanted to do, and um, we just never got around to doing it. It's kind of like the whole project was like that. And so we finally, the Soul Train Awards, we were honored to get the award uh, from Babyface, actually presented us with an award, um, which was very cool. And we started talking about, we should get together and do something. And we finally made that happen. And it was interesting because in the days now that we live in where, you know, it's basically verses and everybody was saying, y'all should do a verses against each other or whatever. And we were like, uh, no, we'd rather just team up and do a little something and see where that leads us. And um, we're really happy about it. And the other thing that's cool about it for us is that Babyface let us produce him. You know, it was like uh, normally he produces his own stuff. So when we were in the studio and he'd start singing and then he'd stop himself and go, wait, wait, let me get that again. And we go, no, no, just sing, man. We got you. We got you. So. It took it took a little bit for, for that to happen, but he did. We got him to play guitar. He wanted to hire a different guitar player to come in and play. And we kind of tricked him. We just said, oh, just go ahead and put a couple parts down just for to give us a guide on what to do. And then we just left those parts on the record and turned them up. So like all the guitars and everything you hear on the record, everything on that song that you hear is all basically just Babyface, uh, along with Terry and I producing and playing a little bit of keyboards and stuff. But it was great working with him. He was fantastic. Cafe Mocha, Angelique, Lonnie, Love, and Yo-Yo on the line. <gasps> hit after hit after right. hit. Damn it. Terry Lewis dating all the way back to, you know, I remember what I consider the first album. The time is when I was introduced to you, you know, uh -huh. all the Janet Jackson stuff. But let me let me ask you about the transition from becoming musicians to right. producers 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the kids know all your music because I shouldn't say the kids, the world knows all your music yes. because you've got 30 years of it. But when did you guys go, eh, you know, I think we'll just, I shouldn't say just produce, just produce some major hits, but we're going to, we're going to sit in the back and we're going to make, make hits. Yeah. Well, the, producing came about as a, a, almost a necessity because I mean, if you if you think of anything that you've developed over your life, we're musicians first. Right. We're songwriters second, and we're producers third. Mm. The only reason we started producing is because we would write songs and then other people would try to produce them, but they would never come out the way we would want them to. So, like, young black man from the hood from the projects, I didn't even know what a producer was. Mm-hmm. You know, you read the credits, wow. but you just... You, you don't know all the particulars. So, you know, we would give songs to people and they would come back and we'd say, man, we could have did this, we could have did that, we should have did it like this, whatever should have happened. So then we had to learn the craft ourselves. Right. And back, back in the day we started, there were no synthesizers, there were no drum machines. Mm-hmm. So you actually had to know how to express music uh, vernacular. You had to be able to speak music to people. So we had to learn that whole process of how to speak to other musicians. And it, there, you couldn't do it all by yourself unless you were Prince at the time. <laughs> uh, because It's Cafe Mocha on the line, Jam and Lewis. You know, I'm going to ask this because I may never get to interview you all ever again. You've been friends for how many years? And how do you keep that friendship going? It's a new year. We need to talk more about friendship, especially between black men. Just your thoughts on it. Well, I've known Terry. I think we met back in, uh, we're debating whether it was 72 or 73. So (laughs) it was back in the day. Um, And, um, but really, first of all, it was, I have to say it was love at first sight when we met each other. We, um, I saw Terry Lewis playing a, a cool in the gang bass part. And I just said, I got to get to know this brother. Like some about him is just cool. I think Terry saw me playing the piano. He always says it's for a bunch of girls or something. He's got some sort of story like that. But anyway, we just were attracted to each other. And then we were in competing bands for a long time. Um, as I mentioned earlier. And, but every time it wasn't like we were getting mad at each other. We were admiring each other. Like, you know, Terry's band would kick my band and I'd be like, yeah, Terry, man, he's really good or whatever. So we finally got together and our, our, and our really our relationship is built on respect. That's the, always the biggest part of it. And also when you think back on it and the 40 some years we've been together and known each other, we've never had an argument. And a lot of people d- get, well, why didn't you ever have an argument? How could that be? And I said, because an argument is something you're trying to win. So when you're having an argument with somebody and you're trying to win something, that isn't what we were trying to do. We were always trying to come w- up with a solution to maybe a disagreement. We might have a disagreement about something and that's different because now we can find a solution to it. Right. So that's the way we always looked at it. And then we took it out of like, who's, what was the best way? It was all about the best way of getting things done. It wasn't my like way. It that. wasn't his way. What's the best way. And that's the way we approach it. And we also shook hands business wise. We shook hands uh, when we first you know, got together business wise. We basically shook hands. We said 50-50. And that eliminated everything that we could ever argue about because nobody's worried about, hey, it's my song, but that's my lyric, but that's my melody, but that's my bridge, but that's my, 
you know, there's none of that conversation. It's just about let's go make great music if we can. Fantastic. Cafe Mocha on KVLA Talk 1580 wishing you and yours a very happy Thanksgiving and Black Friday. Don't be out there spending all your money now. Until next weekend, you can find us on all platforms at Cafe Mocha Radio. Cafe Mocha is a production of Miles Ahead Broadcasting in partnership with Super Radio. Executive producer Sheila Eldridge. For comments, booking, or more information, visit CafeMochaRadio.com. Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network, an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a black perspective. Curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a yes. point of view. We call that edumatainment. That's what we call it. Ed- is that what it is? Veteran TV journalist Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary Unky Divas in Vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. To syndicated broadcast personalities, Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, targeted electronic newsletter, experienced sales representation, For advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective.